classical conditioning, straightforward, super simple, uh, associative learning. The next one, slightly more complicated, but which is going to cover all the rest of what we do in dog training in terms of learning theory and how they learn. And this is operant conditioning. And operant conditioning has four quadrants, and they describe uh, what happens uh, when the dog is making associations between their behaviors and what happens in the world after as a result of their behaviors. So they call this instrumental learning as well. So um, um, operant conditioning is frequently called instrumental learning. And what it is is basically cause and effect. The dog starts to make associations between their behavior and consequences, both good and bad. And that'll cover virtually everything else we do. And I'm going to give you the behavioral terms, and then we're going to chuck them out the window after that, right? I want you to know what they are, what the behaviorists are going to call all the four quadrants, and what that means, and then you can forget about it because they're a little unwieldy. So when people talk about positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, negative punishment, these things all give people fits. It's kind of a pain in the ass. The choice of terms is confusing, but I want you guys to know what they are so that as we go forward you have an idea. And then I'm going to call them what we call them in lay terms. Okay, so there are four quadrants to operant conditioning. The first is uh, positive reinforcement, and in the in in the in um, all four quadrants, positive does not mean good, right? So we have a tendency to think of positive as good and negative as bad, and it's not that way. Positive means we're adding something to the equation. Negative means we're taking something away. So we get hung up on the thing, the idea that. Uh, that positive is good and negative is bad. That's not the way it means. Positive, we're adding. Negative, we're taking it away. Reinforcement means the behavior is more likely to occur in the future. And punishment means the behavior is less likely to occur in the future. So that's what the terms themselves are going to mean. So we'll take number one. Positive reinforcement. Positive, we're adding something to the equation. We're giving the dog something as a consequence of their behavior. Food, toy, whatever. We, we're rewarding the dog for behavior. So this is just giving your dog a reward. It's positive because we're adding something to the equation. It's reinforcement because whatever behavior they were doing, they're more likely to do in the future. So my dog sits, I give him a piece of food. My dog sits, I give him a piece of food. I'm adding the food to the equation. Reinforcement, the dog's more likely to sit in the future. Pretty straightforward. Positive reinforcement is giving your dog a reward. Okay. Positive punishment, on the other hand, is a correction. It means positive, we're adding something to the equation. <laughs> a correction, <laughs> some physical discomfort, some aversive. Uh, to, the, to the equation. Um, punishment, because the behavior is less likely to occur in the future. So my dog jumps on me, and I hit him in the head. My dog jumps on me, I hit him in the head. My dog doesn't jump on me because he knows he's going to get hit in the head, right? So he makes an association between th his action and a consequence. So this is classic um, give a correction. This is the avoidance part of escape avoidance training. So when escape avoidance training is going to describe all of our pressure stuff, the avoidance part of escape avoidance is positive punishment. It is a correction. Right? So we have positive reinforcement, which is give the dog a reward. We have positive punishment, which is give the dog a correction. We have negative reinforcement. And negative reinforcement, uh, we tend to think of as a correction. But it's not really. It's that the dog's behavior turns off some unpleasant thing that's happening to them. It's negative because we stop doing something. We take something away from the equation. It's reinforcement because the behavior is more likely to occur in the future. So my dog is next to me. I pull up on the leash, start choking him. He puts his butt on the ground, and I stop choking him. Right? So his behavior made that unpleasantness go away. It's negative because we stop choking him. 
It's reinforcement because when we stop choking him, he's more likely to sit in the future to avoid getting choked, right? So it's the dog turning off pressure. So something unpleasant is happening, the dog's behavior stops that from happening. Right? This is the escape portion of escape avoidance training in any corrective training, right? So if I use continuous uh, stimulation on a knee collar, that's escape training. I turn it on, the dog's behavior has to shut it off. Right? And we'll talk about that when we get to e-collar work. Right? If my dog's in front of me and I'm pulling him with a leash to go to a certain position, the pressure comes on, he moves to go to that position, and that pressure turns off. Okay? So not like something, uh, as a correction, is something the dog learns to avoid. And the escape portion, or negative reinforcement, is something the dog learns to turn off, as it were. Okay? And then finally, we have negative punishment. And negative punishment is simply withholding a reward from your dog. So reward-based trainers use a lot of positive reinforcement, giving their dogs rewards, and negative punishment, withholding rewards. Negative because we're taking something away. Punishment because the dog's less likely to do that in the future. So I have a piece of food. My dog wants the piece of food. He jumps on me. I take the food away from him. He sits down on the ground. Right? So he made, his behavior made the food go away. He's less likely to jump on me in the future right? because it's punishment. So everything we do with the dog is going to fall into these four categories. The reward-based stuff is going to be give him a reward and withhold a reward. The punishment-based stuff or the um, escape avoidance-based stuff is going to be either correct the dog for, bat, for a con uh, make a consequence, give the dog a correction, or pressure the dog until they do something and they turn that pressure off. And that's going to describe everything we do with the dog across the board. Right? So we use classical conditioning to develop a communication system to make a reward marker, to initiate commands, all that kind of stuff. We're going to use classical or associative learning. And then we're going to use instrumental learning for everything else, where the dog starts to figure out that their behavior has consequences in the world, good and bad. It's as simple as that. Right? We use markers throughout this whole process for both the good and the bad. Right. Again, because markers, once the dog's conditioned to them, a reward marker and a punishment marker or a non-reinforcement marker, once the dog's conditioned to these, now I don't physically have to reward or punish the dog immediately. I just have to mark the moment in time with my voice or with whatever sound I've decided to use to make. Right? So the power of this is, again, it liberates us a little bit from physically having to be right there and do the right thing at exactly the right time. Right? And if we're, again, if we're training without markers in, in this system, then we're relying on either getting the reward or getting the punishment to the dog in a very timely fashion. And sometimes that's not possible. Right? We all know that's not possible. Right? So for a dog, uh, dogs learn best, for instance, if they get rewards or corrections within a half a second or within a second, within about a second of the behavior, under a second, of, about, of the behavior we're trying to capture or punish. Right? We are, I don't care how good you are, you are not consistently getting rewards to your dog and punishing them every time in under a second. Ain't going to happen, right? <laughs> You're just not going to be that good in timing and quickness. And sometimes it's impossible. The dog's not right next to you. The dog's at a distance or you're in a position where you can't, your back's to the dog or whatever as we go along. Reward markers and punishment markers or non-reinforcement markers allow us, once they're conditioned, to just be able to use our voice. So once my dog understands those markers, it's going to be the same thing. My dog can be sitting, and as soon as he starts to get up, I can say, nope, and grab him and put him back. Right? So I didn't grab him and even give him a correction or put him back until after the fact, but I marked the moment in time that he made the mistake, the same way that I would with a reward. 
had marked the exact moment in time he made the right decision, and the pay would come afterwards. I can mark the moment he made the mistake, and the punishment, either withholding reward or correction, can come afterwards once the dog understands the system. Right. And when we talk about the negative marker, there's, and this, is, this is key, in the beginning stages, I don't make it a conditioned punisher, meaning I'm not correcting the dog with it, right? So if at home I've said no and corrected my dog for certain behaviors, I'm going to make a different marker for when I start training, right? It's important that in the beginning it's a signal for non-reinforcement first before it becomes a signal for punishment. So one of the things about, um, and this is a per perfect segue into this, one of the things about um, uh, using punishment, or using correction, or using escape avoidance, I should say, or using aversives. An aversive is anything the dog finds unpleasant, right, across the board, right? So it could be radically different for a different dog. Me, like, leaning over a dog and going, hey, to a border collie could be strongly aversive. Might not mean anything to my German Shepherd, right? I might have to bonk him in the head, or give him a correction, or whatever it is, right? Depending on the dog's sensitivity level, their perception of aversive can be really different, right? So when we start talking about what's aversive to a dog, it's from the dog's perspective, not ours, right? We think prong collars, e-collars, choke chains, these are aversives. But your dog could find a loud voice, uh, um, uh, anything like that, a squirt of water in his face, whatever. Those are all potentially aversive depending on your dog's attitude towards them. So the problem when we start using aversives early in the training process is um, we run the risk of what we call superstitious behavior, right? So superstitious behavior, and this is going to be a big topic for us all week, <laughs> all weekend, the next two days, right, is superstitious behavior is when the dog associates some unpleasant experience with something other than what we wanted them to, right? So for instance, if I had my dog out and um, he knew I th I'd been training him to come when called and he was relatively good at it, and so I slapped an e-collar on him and let him out there in the field and he's running around and I call him and he doesn't come and I hit him with the e-collar, right? He may, if I'm lucky, associate that with not having come to me. He also might associate it with the tree he was standing next to, or whatever he was sniffing at the time, or the place, the field, right? Any of these things. And if he associates it with one of those things, that's what we call superstitious behavior. And in those circumstances, it gets us in trouble. The dog stresses, but he doesn't stress about not coming to me. He stresses about being next to the tree, and now he won't go near the tree. Right? And this could work to our advantage in certain circumstances. So for instance, I put an e-collar on my dog or I, I set up a bunch of cans tied to a piece of food on my counter or whatever, all the same things, right? The dog jumps up on the counter and when he touches the counter he gets shocked. Or the things fall on his head when he touches the counter. So the dog thinks the counter did it to him. And we get superstitious behavior. In that case, it helps us. The superstitious behavior makes the dog think, I don't want to touch the counter because the counter bites. Right? So that might work for us, but in most of our obedience, superstitious behavior is our enemy. If you're not already aware, Michael and I have done a number of dog training DVDs together. The latest being our four-hour DVD titled Focused Healing.